processing and, you know, QuickBooks. And I, and, and I you know, I can, I can establish some things, but there's these guys down at Best Buy who are geeks. And I'm not a geek. You know, I'm just a normal. And we've looked at Christianity like that. There, you know, there's normal Christians. That's what I am. Then there's these geeky guys who are into Pentecost, but that's not me. But I've discovered, folks, that isn't true. Uh, Pentecost is the essence of everything that's going on in the New Covenant. And, of course, it's all about the indwelt Jesus and what he wants to do in your life. And 120 have just received this new experience in their life. And it's recorded, of course, in verse 1 through 4. And I want to walk you through this again because uh, they, there was uh, three to 5,000 people who were hanging around watching this whole thing. And they were uh, from 15 different nationalities as it's recorded in verse 9 down through verse 11. And the disciples, of course, were literally speaking a message in all of those languages. And these guys were Galileans who could, again, hardly talk their own language. And so it was so amazing. It just blew these three to 5,000 Jews uh, from the exile, just blew them away. And, of course, they're asking the question in verse 12, whatever could this mean to be? How does this apply to my life? And, of course, what happens is Peter stands up and says, I'm going to answer that. And he begins to do that with a sermon. And he gives his text, which is verse 17 through 21. And then he begins the body of his message, which we have been analyzing, and especially this messianic psalm. The body of his message begins with this proposition, which again is the whole sermon reduced down to one sentence. And it's a long sentence, and it's all about sourcing. In other words, the essence of Christianity is a sourcing issue. You understand that you cannot define sin by the action of the deed. I wish you could. I wish that was the way it was. I really do. If God wanted my advice, which he doesn't, I would ask him to change it and make sin defined by the action of the deed. In other words, you sinned. Why? Because you did that deed. And it was the action of the deed that made that thing a sin. But that's not true. It's not the action of the deed that makes a thing a sin. If, it, if the action of the deed made a thing a sin, then we would have lists of sin. Here would be a list, and if I didn't do any of those things on the list, then I'd be okay. So everything that isn't on that list is all right. For instance, in um, Romans chapter 1, there's a list of sins. He relates to the pagans and gives this list. In, a, in Galatians chapter 5, he gives the works of the flesh a list. But they're not the same list. Evidently, neither one of them are exhaustive. But it's really interesting that when you look at the list, both in Romans and in Galatians, every single deed in the list is motivated by self-centeredness. Every one of them is sourced right out of self. For instance, there's adultery that's listed. My wife has been offish, really cold. But God has been so good. He's given me this warm secretary. What are you talking about? That's not true. Adultery is always a sin every time, any place. It doesn't matter what your wife does or what she doesn't do. Why? Because it's not about the deed activity of the deed. It's about the motivation. And what are you into? Yourself, what you need, how I feel, what I want, what I, 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 I. And when that is sourced, when the deed is sourced by self, it's always a sin. Do you realize that what that means? Anything could be a sin if it was sourced by self. 
For instance, God comes to my life and says, Manly, here's my will for your rest of your life. Here's what I want you to do for the rest of your life. I want you to clean out toilets, boy. Every time you see a toilet, go at it, son. Be the best toilet cleaner upper that you've ever been. And I say, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to. No, I don't mind cleaning a couple toilets, but I'm not. For, no, I'm not going to do that for the rest of my life. God, no. And God says, well, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And I say, well, hey, I'll preach for you. Preaching would be a sin. Are you thinking? See, preaching would be a sin. It isn't the activity of the deed. It's the source of it. So Pentecost is all about this sourcing issue. See, what sources your life? We're not trying to make everybody good people. We're not trying to get everybody to do good things. What we're after in Christianity is that everybody would be filled with the Spirit and literally source that their attitude, the way they feel, where they go, the expression of their life, the whole spill out of their living, day after day after day, would literally be sourced by the Spirit of God. That's Pentecost. And he says, oh, I want to explain this to you. Jesus was sourced by the Spirit of God. So what's going on in 120, what's going on? Oh, it's easy. What's going on in 120 is the same identical thing that was going on in Jesus. And you know what was going on in Jesus? He was sourced by the Spirit. So his life was sourced by the Spirit. His death was sourced by the Spirit. His resurrection was sourced by the Spirit. Verse 22, 23, and 24. Then he comes to this passage and says, hey, I know you didn't get that, so what we're going to do is we're going to have Jesus come and give his own testimony and testify to you about what it's like to be sourced by the Spirit. And he gives us this messianic psalm. And we've been walking through this and we're dealing with verse 28 tonight. In verse 25, he says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And we discovered that's a focus issue. That what Jesus is saying is that, uh, that all the time he's being sourced by the Father, the Father is in his eye. The Father has literally captured his life. The Father has become the contact lens through which he sees everything. That the whole flow of his living is right out of the issue of the sourcing. The sourcing of the Father. The focus. The, the intertwining. The merging. The God, is a, God the Father is literally involved in everything that's going on in his life. That he's right in the center of it all. And it's a focus, it's a focus issue. Then he moves us into verse 26 and says, All the time Jesus is being sourced by the Father... The father's in his eye. But in verse 26, he says, Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. In other words, all the time he's being sourced by the father, the father's in his eye. And all the time the father's in his eye, something is going on down deep in his heart. There is this well-mind. There is this security. There is this oh, life is good. There is this you can't shake it. There is this you can't put ripples on my pond stuff. There is this, hey, it doesn't matter about the circumstances outside. Everything's going to be okay. Why? Because he's in charge and he's sourcing my life. And there's this internal confidence. In fact, it moves from the internal party of the heart to the nerves, to the emotions until he has a dancing face, he says, until my whole physical body is literally responding to this. And then he breaks into this verse 27, which we dealt with last night. And says, do you want to know what kind of relationship that would be like? What, what, what kind of relationship you would have to have to have that kind of experience in the depth of your life? And he gives this overwhelming merger idea. That it isn't just God coming to live within you. It's, it's a merger between you and him. 
It's an intertwining. It's not just knowing about him. See, the whole big man upstairs concept is gone, folks. It's about, it's about Jesus just literally coming and, and merging, intertwining until you think like him. He, he intertw he inter he's intertwined with your attitude and begins to source your attitude until the expressions of your life become him because you are just filled with him. You are sourced by him and the intertwining takes, takes place. And there are no illustrations. There's no, there's no words to describe the depth of that kind of intimacy between God and man. But it's the essence of all of Christianity. Now he moves us to verse 28. And he gives us the end result of all of this. And this just blew me away. He said, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Look at it again. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And he brings up the subject of communication. In other words, the result of this whole thing is a communication is established. In other words, out of the intimacy, there begins to flow this, this, this communication. But out of this merger, there begins to flow this, this knowledge, this, this revelation, this intertwining of your life and his. There begins to be this, this intimacy of communication. If you've ever had marriage counseling, you know one of the first things they bring up is communication. Are you talking to each other? Because intimacy breaks down when you don't communicate. And communication cannot be without intimacy. And intimacy cannot be without communication. So if you are not hearing clearly, you are not embracing properly because there's something about intimacy that literally spills into a new kind of communication. So you would expect that if a person is literally merged with God and you become the new creature, if there is an intertwining of your life and his and you are literally filled with him, that you would move to a whole new level of communication between you and God. And he really hits that hard in this, in this verse. You will note that the verse starts out in verse 28 with, you have made known to me. Now, you have made known is a translation of one Greek word. It's used 25 times in the New Testament, and it's a phenomenal word, and I want to describe it to you. I want to give you three basic ideas about this concept that he's giving in this word. Number one, the force. The force of the communication. You have made known. That, that Greek word... It's not some casual communication. In other words, it's not, oh, left you a message on the answering machine. It's not that. It's not, oh, left you a note on the counter. It's not that. It's almost a public announcement. It's blaring. It's explicit. It's strong. It's the kind of thing, well, I think I heard that. That kind of deal. In other words, it isn't, what did he say? No, that's not this. See, this is, there's no question about what he said, and you got it. It's almost, again, a public announcement kind of thing with horns blowing, ta da ta da and this announcement is made. That's his word. The kind of communication he's going to do to your life. Now, this literally changed my life. 
the thing that's so exciting about it is not only is the force of this word so strong that it's explicit and very, very clear and very, very pronounced, but it's also, and this will really excite you, it's also in the active voice. <laughs> See, verbs, you learned this in the sixth grade. Come on. The verbs have voice. In other words, there's the active voice, there's the passive voice, there's the middle voice. Now, active voice means the subject is responsible for the action of the verb. So, the boy, an example would be, the boy hit the ball. Hit is the verb. Who's responsible for the hitting? The subject, the boy. So the boy hit, that's an active verb. Now a passive verb would be, the boy was hit by the ball. That's passive. So when you come to this verb here, it's in the active voice, which is really significant in the, in the New Testament. He says, you, will, you have made known. In other words, who's responsible for making known to me? Who's responsible for communicating to me? Who's responsible for getting through to me? Well, he is. He has taken, God has taken, oh, get this. God has taken on the responsibility of talking to you. God has taken on the responsibility of communication to you. You are not responsible for this. And I'm telling you, when God decides to communicate to you, you will be communicated to. Because <laughs> he is adequate to get the job done. He knows your language. He knows your psychological scars. He knows, he knows how you think. He knows your past. He knows, he, he knows the imagery of your mind. He knows your culture. He knows how to communicate to you. And God has taken on the responsibility of communicating His will to your life. So I want to announce to you, this is so assuring. I want to announce to you, especially to a guy who's always second-guessing himself, saying, oh, did I do the right thing? I want to tell you tonight, you can't do the wrong thing. He will not allow it unless you want to. Unless you want to. See, if you really want to know the will of God, he won't let you get off course. He will stop you. He will talk to you. He's obligated. Come on, give him some credit, folks. He's not going to talk to you in Spanish when all you know is English and then get mad when you don't do it. God's smarter than that. So God is not going to be vague and then, oh, well, I, 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 I just misunderstood. I didn't get it. I, I guess I went off. No, no, no. If you go off, it'll be because you want to. If you don't do his will, it'll be because you resisted. If you, don't, if, 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 you don't, if you don't come under the flow of his plan, it won't be because he didn't communicate it. It will be because you plain flat resisted and didn't want it because he has obligated himself. He has taken on the responsibility of communicating and you cannot. Oh, isn't that reassuring? You cannot miss. Relax, will you? You can't miss the will of God unless you want to. I tried to explain this to my wife. She came home. We came home after a service one night, and she was just, I could tell, she was really upset. And, and I, I knew we were, well, never mind. So she, she started in. She started in, and she said, I need to talk to you. And then the old finger came out, you know. And, and so I knew, well, and so I just sat down and relaxed. And, uh, and she started in, and she said, I told you, I told you, I told you not to do that. You went right in and did that in that service. I told you. I said, when did you tell me? 
She said, I told you on such and such a date. It was such and such a time. It was raining in such and such a way. It was, and she described it. I had on such and such a dress and, and you had on such and such a shirt and she, she had it down. So there was no question at all that she told me. So after she went through all of this, I casually got up and just went over and wrapped my arm around her shoulder and said, sweetie pie, honey bun, you haven't told me until I get it. Is there an amen in the crowd? <laughs> See, you can flap your lips all you want to. You can say anything you want to. You can have music in the background. You can do, you can climb the walls. You can write it on, handwriting on the wall. You can do anything you want to do. But see, if it doesn't get, listen, we've been married all this time and you know how to communicate to me and you have not communicated. The responsibility of communication rests on you. And if you got something you want to say to me, you better say, to, say it so I get it or you haven't communicated. It didn't go exactly like that, but something like that. <laughs> Do you see that? See, God has taken on the responsibility of the communication. And he says, I'm going to talk to you. And there's no way you're going to miss it unless you want to. So I'm telling you tonight, you cannot miss the will of God unless you want to. You can't go astray. Well, what if, I, what if my theology is wrong? You can't do it, folks. He will not allow you to miss the truth unless you want to. Let me give you an illustration. There's this Moses guy. You know the story, phenomenal story of Moses. And he's this little babe and, and all the Hebrew kids, uh, baby boys are being killed. And, and yet he's saved. He's put in this little ark, floats down the Nile. And oh, the, just at the right time. And Pharaoh's daughter sees him and loves him and brings him into Pharaoh's house. And the guy is raised. In, I mean, what a plan. Isn't God phenomenal? And he's going to be the deliverer of Israel right out of slavery. And it's going to be phenomenal. And he's raised in Egypt and he raised in Pharaoh's court. And he knows the inner workings. He knows how they think. He knows their educational system. And he knows their, their armies and, their, and the Egyptian soldiers. And he just, he's, I mean, wow. And so he's 40 years of age and it's time to get with the program. So he decides to deliver Israel and he goes out and kills one Egyptian guard, buries the dude. And hey, somebody, somebody sees him. So the word is spread and he's in trouble. And so he runs off. So that's as far as he got with delivering Israel. So now he's a 40-year-old failure who's gone to the wilderness, to the desert. And what's he going to do in the desert? Sheep. In fact, he's going to raise sheep. For 40 years in the desert, he's 80 now. So that's an 80-year-old failure who's been 40 years in the wilderness raising sheep. He shears sheep. He herds sheep, if that's what you do with them. He has a fold for sheep. He counts sheep at night. His whole life and existence is wrapped up in sheep and more sheep and nothing but sheep. An 80-year-old failure who knows nothing now at this point but sheep. How do you communicate to a guy like that? Oh, bush. In the wilderness, burning, not consumed. And God speaks to an 80-year-old failure through a bush that's burning and not consumed. 
and it's spatially designed just for Moses. Do you know God never used that thing again? I would have worn that out. Every pulpit would have a burning bush right beside it in the church of the Nazarene. Come on, watch the bush burn. I mean, whoa, wouldn't that be phenomenal? God never used it again. It was spatially designed to communicate. See, God has a bush for you. He has designed. He knows exactly He's not going to communicate to me like he communicate. Hey, God knows you. And listen, if all you know is four-letter words, he's going to speak in four-letter words. He's got you down. And you cannot, that's this passage, you cannot miss the will of God unless you want to. The force. Now, also in this word, it's not only the force, but the focus. You say, oh, good, God's going to talk to me. But what's he going to talk to me about? Now, the passage, read it. The passage is all about the ways of life. You have made known to me the ways of life. In fact, if you look up the 25 times that this word is used in the New Testament, you will find out that every single time this word translated you have made known shows up. It's always about the plan of redemption, the salvation event, bringing you into the intimacy with his person. So this is never about any other subject except you and him being in intimacy and the redemption of your life and soul. So what he's pledged himself to communicate to you about is the everlasting divine plan and will of his, of his will for your life. That's what he's pledged to communicate to you and you cannot miss it. Now, God is not a crystal ball. Oh, whoa, sell your stocks. Now, God may communicate to you about your stocks. Hey, he can do that. I'm not saying he can't do that. So don't go out here and say, God can't tell me when to sell my stocks. He can tell you that. And if he does that, God bless you, go sell your stocks. But that's not what he's talking about in this verse. You're out shopping for a new car. God says, don't buy that Honda. The guy who put the engine in was drunk. Okay. See, God can do that for you. If God does that for you, I'm for you. Praise the Lord. But that's not in this verse. See, God may talk to you about it. Take a number, hello. It's on a rain. Say, that's fine. I have no problem with that if God does that for you. But that's not in the verse. See, the verse is totally exclusively. God has put himself on the line to communicate his will for your life to you. The ways of life. And folks, there is no way you may end up broke because you didn't sell your stock. But there's no way you're going to end up broke spiritually. There's no way that's going to happen. You cannot miss. Are you getting this? You cannot miss. Relax, will you? You cannot miss the will of God for your life. He will not let you unless you want to. Third idea in the word. Facility. So you got the force. God has taken on the responsibility to communicate to you. You got the focus. He's going to communicate to you his will, which will be the ways of life for your life. Thirdly, the facility. How is he going to communicate to me? 
The whole context of this thing is intimacy. God is going to communicate to you through intimacy. I love this. If you say, God spoke to me in an audible voice. Wow. Again, he can do that if he wants to. And if you've heard the audible voice of God, wow, are you blessed? And please, the next time he does that for you, record it. I'd like to hear it. See, I'm not against that. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm not, hey, whoa. But that's not in this passage. See, the method by which he's going to speak in this, me- in this passage is intimacy. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a, a communication that takes place on the level of intimacy that cannot, cannot, there is a depth. How do you explain this? There is a depth of communication that takes place in intimacy that can't be found any other way. There is a level of knowledge and revelation and of knowing and that takes place in intimacy that just, just can't be found any other way. My wife and I were in a service. I was sitting over here. She was sitting over there and something happened in the service and uh, I just leaned, leaned up a little bit and looked over at her. She leaned up a little bit, looked over at me. We never said a word, but there was a whole lot of communication that went on. I call it the look. And some of you know what I mean. See, that comes out of intimacy. That is a communication level that spills out of intimacy. So he is wanting to be intimate with you. And in that intimacy, there will be this, this communication, this, 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 oh, if you want to know what he thinks, if you want to know his heart, there's no way outside of the intimacy because he has pledged himself to communicate to you. Now, there's one other place. There is one place that I want you to take. I want you to go with me to know to see this word you have made known. Uh, it's one of the 20, other 25 times. This is obviously one of them, so there's 24 others, and this is one of the 24. And it's John uh, chapter 15. And I'd like for you to turn there. It's such a phenomenal passage. Uh, John chapter 15, John 14, 15, and 16, of course, are three chapters that if you look at them carefully and you have the red letter edition, almost all of it is in red letters. And the reason is because it's one long discourse by Jesus. Uh, he's in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, he's going to have the high priestly prayer, go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's all going to be over in terms of the crucifixion. So he's just about to move into the Garden of Gethsemane and the whole crucifixion. And he is with his disciples, giving them the last message he's going to give them. And again, it's a long one. It's chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16. And the interesting thing about the discourse of these three chapters is that they are all on the same subject. In other words, he's not talking about a variety of things. He's got one thing on his mind and only one thing. And as you walk through these chapters, 
it just, he just keeps beating this one single idea. And of course, it's all about what we've been talking about, the fullness of the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's talking about how God is literally going to enter into and how he's going to send the comforter and all of that's going to take place in their lives. For instance, in chapter 16, if you go down to verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. See, you can't imagine living without me. You've been with me three years in ministry and you believe in me and, and you can't imagine living without me, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's to your advantage. Something is going to happen that's going to be far greater than me just being with you in the physical sense. There's going to come an indwelling and it's to your advantage I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will. And then we have that great discourse and that whole chapter is filled with that kind of stuff. When you back up into chapter 15, at the end of chapter 15, verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So he's going to give a revelation of Jesus in the inner heart that you can't find any other way unless the spirit of God comes. So he says, hey, this is really significant. At the beginning of the chapter 15, he gives the vine and the branch illustration, which is a physical illustration of the fullness of the Spirit, which is phenomenal, phenomenal illustration. If you go to chapter 14, it's just all over the place in chapter 14 of how he's going to send the Spirit and he's going to come in and dwell us and, and how he does his work. Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you. This is 1425. These things I have spoken to you while, I, while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now, the passage I want you to see is in chapter 15. And it's verse 15. He's just told this, this vine and branch illustration. And of course, the key to the vine and branch illustration is the word abide. What is that? I think it's nine times the word abide shows up. Just abide, abide, abide. He just hits that thing so hard. It's the abiding concept of the Spirit of God literally living within you. And, and then he comes to verse 15 as a climax to all of that. Look at this thing. Chapter 15, verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friends. Now, that didn't do a lot for me because I've had some of those. So, but, hey, translate that another way. It's more like the idea of Beloved, It's more like the idea of lover. So it's, it's not just friend. Take the knife out of my back, will you? It's, it's a little beyond that. So it's the lover thing. So he says, I don't call you servants. I call you lovers. For all, listen to this. For all things that I heard from my father... I have made known to you. Jesus says, everything I hear from the Father, I'm telling you. I know everything Jesus knows. Whoa. That's 
That's what he just said. He's not going to keep any secrets from us. He's not hiding anything from us. He is revealing. He is making known to us. He's taken on the responsibility of this. And he is, he is in the intimacy between you and him. He is giving you this revelation of all that he hears from the Father. And there is this, there is this revelation that's just going on in your life that just... Do you see how big this is? See, folks, this is not just, well, I joined the church. Oh, come on. See, this is not, well, I pray before my meals. See, this is way beyond that. Well, I've been going to church all my life. Oh, come on. This is intimacy between you and him. This is you're his bride and he's your bridegroom. And you have pillow talk at night. And you know what Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 10? He says, oh, don't you know what's going to happen? In the night hours, I'm going to whisper to you. I'm going to whisper to you these things. Make known to you these things. And you're going to go out in, uh, in the daylight and just live it out and proclaim it to your world. All of this stuff that you get from him and pillow talk at night. He's just revealing because you're so intimate with him. You're lovers with him. You are, this, you are, this, you are in this merging thing. want this Jesus of ours to literally indwell them and source the very essence of their living. Jesus, this moves me. not miss what you want unless I want to. I have to turn my hearing aid off, don't I? I have to shut you down, don't I? I have to close you off, don't I? Because you're going to bang on my door. You're going to yell in my ear. You've got a bush just for me. You know how to talk to me. And you are not going to let me miss your will. And here we sit tonight in another service. And you're not going to let us miss this. You will not allow it. You are bombarding us. You are pulling us. You are stretching us. You are pulling me into what you want me to be. You will not leave me where I am, will you? You are taking all that the Father has revealed to you and through the Spirit, you're literally revealing it to me and you're pulling me into, in, into deeper intimacy and pulling me into, in, into a new relationship and you're pulling me, Lord, into all that you want and you have plan and destiny for my life and you will not let me miss it. And oh, Jesus, would you give me the ability just to, to relax in your presence and 
and know with the confidence of the deep inner heart that everything's okay and everything's going to be all right and doesn't matter what's going on in the circumstances of my life because there is this sovereign God who's literally entered in at the core of my being and you're in my eye and we are in such intimacy that you are communicating your will to me and hey, I'm, I'm going to plow through this and just as surely as Old Testament men plowed through and came out in victory and just as surely as men in the New Testament knew the intimacy of your spirit and found victory and moved their world so you're going to do that in me because I just listened to your voice. I can't miss it because... We're intimate. Jesus, remove the stubbornness of my heart, the stiff neckness. The silly, stinking pride. The foolishness of always having to be right. Please, God, don't let me grow into an old, bitter, negative, critical, always right opinionated always got something to say about everything burn bush in my life and make known to me the heart I want to kneel again tonight, Jesus, and I want to tell you, you've got a guy on your hands that burns to know you and your will. I do not want to miss it, God. And I know I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, and I, I, I know I, I, I've, I've got a lot of qualities that, aren't, that lack, but, but God, I mean, my heart burns to know. Speak to me. You promised. You promised. Heads are bowed. I'm absolutely convinced that all of Christianity is wrapped up in response. Jesus doesn't measure your performance. He measures your response. And the wonder of response, folks, is that he's initiated it all. You didn't come after him. He came after you. You didn't seek him. He sought you. You didn't love him. He loved you. That's why you can love him. See, he started this whole thing, and all you can do is respond. 
You didn't do anything to get him to move upon your life. You can't do anything to make him not move upon your life because he has decided he's going to talk to you. And I don't know what your level is tonight in your journey. I don't know where you are. But I know he's talking to you. Because he is not a liar. And as he speaks, what is the key? Hey, respond, man. Respond. You don't have to, I know. You can shut him down, I got it. But you could go to a new level. He could draw you to a new knowledge. He could take you into a new intimacy. Ah, altars open. Moments of response.